Welcome to the Meltzone podcast recorded on June 14th, 2021. This is episode 47. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And topic for today's podcast are Tom's, well, uh, streaming mar marathon uh, building his War on 2.4. Um, we are famous because we have been featured in Meg Magazine Germany. Um, an entry from the German Jugendforscht, um, putting ultrasonic, well, emitters to a resin vat for heating the resin and dispersing it for better printing quality and also, uh, better strength. And a quick update on the torsion Kickstarter that has been suspended. Yay! And sticking on the topics of more Kickstarters, we discuss a kick, uh, a Kickstarter, a 3D printed bike helmet, the calf helmet uh, that is printed entirely from TPE. Can that work? I don't know. And answering some questions today as well about the water tightness of 3D prints, whether a FDM print or a resin print can be watertight at all. Um, availability of Soriatec, that's just a quick one. And how our experience has gone so far with the Duet boards and whether they are suitable for using as an Octoprint replacement. So how how burned out are you after your six live streams? <laughs> seven actually now. Already? I think. It I think yesterday was, yesterday was the, seventh. the seventh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, so how burned out are you? <laughs> well, the, the thing is, if you have a live stream every other day and you do like other stuff between those live stream mm. days, um, just to prepare for it and to do stuff off off camera uh, to get the machine ready for the next live stream, that mm. that kind of puts you on a weird rhythm. Um, mm. Because I, I guess it's the same for you, but live streaming when you're actually building something and when you live stream it to camera and not you know, with a video game entertaining the viewer and you just make a comment every now and then. That is one of the most exhausting things that, I, that, I'm, that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, three-hour live stream, that's basically the entire day uh, taken and, and, and used up. So I I do appreciate that moment or I do, I do look for that moment when it's all built and it's all working and that hopefully is going to be well, maybe maybe the day this podcast airs um, on the fifteenth. So that that would be live stream number eight with everything going. By the way, I'm I'm going to switch you away real quick. There is the Voron that we're talking about, the Voron two point four that I'm building in a live stream series. Okay, how how was your experience so far? Um, because well, we gotta say you streamed seven times for like on average three hours. Yep. That's already a good twenty hours of of building. Yeah, you were. Uh, uh, you were streaming also, which, uh, which, which takes up some time and, and, uh, concentration. But how was your experience building it? Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, I've had, so obviously I've built printers before. If it's a uh, first time mm. building a printer, it will probably be a bit different, but it's pretty good. Like the manual is, is really well done for the most part. Like it's, you can see it's, it's, it's not like super in depth, like a Prusa manual that tells you every mm. step three times um it it assumes you kind of know what you're doing um but so far everything fits really well everything is logical more or less and it goes together really well um the i guess the the biggest positive experience was uh yesterday in the stream when i got the firmware configured and everything just worked 
well, I did have to swap around a couple of axes and stuff, and the thermistor setting was wrong, but that's like that's minor things that are expected, mm. but there was nothing that was binding, there was no motor that wasn't working, there was no issues with the setup, it just worked, which mm. is pretty amazing for a printer you've spent, well, I guess combined almost 30 hours now with all the stuff I'm doing <laughs> off camera. Um, <laughs> the fact that there's no significant mistake in there is... Uh, pretty uplifting cool and so it, 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 is, it is fast it is and fast it's yeah fast. so i i'm sorry i haven't uh, followed the whole like uh so far but i yeah came by a couple of times i have seen you <clears throat> like just jogging it around yesterday pretty fast uh yep. i think you haven't printed anything with it yet Correct. will this will this be like the the big goal for your next stream yeah yeah i mean because that's all that's left to do well except for the stuff that i noted down that i still need to do off camera uh f f tie up a couple of loose ends like i missed inserting the ptfe into the extruder happens um mm. homing still needs to be configured uh setting a nozzle offset calibrating the extruder like those things that are just futzing around and, and kind of figuring a couple of things out that I don't want to subject the stream to. Um, those I still have to do, but yeah, pretty much that's that's that. All the axes are functional. The extruder is heating, or the, the hotend is heating up. Um, mm. Everything works on this machine. So the only thing left to do is set up a slicer profile and get printing. What what speed should I start at? Should I just go straight to two hundred millimeters a second? Not even. Well, the question is, what, what what material will you be using for yeah, like your first print? True. I guess I guess PTG then because PLA is just going to be a melty mess. Even with PTG, it's 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 kind of hard to get not a melty mess at, at these temperatures. So my experience so far, printing at really higher speeds, uh, ABS is the way to go. ABS and as much cooling as you want, which sounds kind of totally different to to yeah, what what people usually connect to abs no printing heated chamber and stuff like that but if you want to print fast a lot of cooling abs is really right. the way to go um so like printing abs during a live stream in your basement room might not be like the most comfortable thing i do have the ventilation going so that's that's something and i guess i could so, also use asa yeah i wanted smelly. to say that yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bit less smelly. Um we'll go straight to uh Prusherman's PC blend. Yeah, but then you have the well, it 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 doesn't really smell during printing, but you still have like the bisphenol that yeah. is, is coming out of that. Well, I could, uh, I could use a bit of extra <laughs> volume in my chest area. Yeah. Just just get some chicken chicken nuggets and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um no. Uh, so, well, if, if you want to print fast, I would, I would probably go for, for, for AS, ASA or ABS. Um, right. did you, um, I, I can't really see that from the angle I'm, I'm currently looking at you. Uh, did you enclose it already? No. Or are the side panels still something that, uh, can be installed after like everything is built? So the build right now, the goal is to get it working, functional and like to to get all the functionality taken mm -hmm. care of first, and then we can add on all the the petty little details. Like uh, it doesn't have any skirting on the bottom, so 
Yeah. Uh, like the ZX just gets them some really nice decorations mm -hmm. and everything down here is closed off. That's not on there. The panels are still missing. There's an air filter that is um, intended to be to be added and a filament guide uh, through the back. That's mm -hmm. also not in there yet. Um, this is purely for function at this point. Um, also, because these are the printed forward parts, um, they do mm -hmm. not include all those optional parts that I'm not installing right now. Okay. So uh, air filter housing... Uh, all the panel mounts are not included and all the skirting is also not included. I think that's another like one and a half kilograms of filament. Uh, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a kilogram of filament okay. um, for all those optional parts, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, at this point, it is not enclosed. You have the 300 by 300 millimeter yes. machine. How How big is the footprint now? Is it less than half a meter by half a meter? Yes. So it's for... 60 or 60 okay so basically um since well if, if i for example compare it to prusa which has all of the dangling wires um on the sides um the the desk space you would need for such a machine or or a prusa mark three are are pretty similar it's just a yeah. bit taller not even that um i did mention on, on stream once the frame was built um it's like with like you said with all the wires dangling out it's base. It's taking up basically the same size, possibly even less, because the bed doesn't move out of the frame. If you look at a at a bed slinger machine, that is mm -hmm. already easily. If you have a two twenty bed, uh, two twenty mm -hmm. on the y axis, then that's already four forty. If you want to reach mm -hmm. the entire space of that, which is basically how large that frame is, and for yeah. height, uh, the push is about that tall, which you guys on mm -hmm. stream can't see. I'm just yeah that, um, and then you have the spool mount on top. Yeah. So if you use a Prusa as intended, that does take up the same, if not more, space on your desk and in volume if you put it on a shelf or something. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot more yeah. dead space per se. Yeah. And this, of course, is 300 by 300 versus 220 by 250. Yeah. So so you actually didn't didn't go like the normal route with an SKL board and and a Raspberry Pi and Clipper and and things like that. You have a Duet three in there. <gasps> Oh, uh, will you be adding a screen? Because um, I recently changed the mainboard of my old Mark II and said, okay, a screen is not really necessary. But because the web interface is really good and yeah. I'm, still, I'm still totally fine with the web interface. But just having my printer not in the same room as I'm usually working and slicing my parts, I noticed that sometimes it's, it's kind of nice to just have the screen and uh, to preheat the nozzle to change material. Yeah. And, you, you do need uh, that. So, so, and I asked around and people didn't like the big touch screens. So what I installed on my machine now is a, a small dot matrix, matrix LCD. Um, I can't remember the name anymore. 12064, 12864, yeah. Um, 12864. And I'm really happy with that. And it works really well there. I, 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 it took me a while to um, find a, a proper interface file, but then I stumbled upon some some random guy, and it works really nice. Right. So, what are your uh, what are your plans? So that option of using the one twenty eight sixty four LCD is uh, closed for me. That's not something I can do on this printer because the Duet three six HC does not support it. I think the Mini five supports that. 
Um, yeah, but the, the Mini 5 definitely does. But the full 6HC does not. So okay. that that train has departed. Um, I still have a panel doer from I don't know when. They they sent me that mm-hmm. at some point and I have never used it. I, well, I might have. Nah, nah, I've not. I've never used it. That would be obviously a prime candidate for, for an interface, mm-hmm. especially for, for a printer that is basically the highest of ends. Um, as you can build it, that would make sense. Um, otherwise, if the panel due it doesn't work out for me, I still have this uh, this convertible that I can just slap on. That's a 11.6 inch. If the seven yeah. inch screen is too small, I can just you know yeah. glue that to the front of the printer yeah. and have the full <laughs> Do-It web interface open. Though <laughs> yeah. I don't think this is going to be necessary. The panel due interface is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, staying in the uh, in that same spirit of. <clears throat> Everything's a bit over the top. Everything's a bit expensive on this machine. Um, mm. You know, the the, the Do-It hardware is already like, I think, 300, 350 bucks or something um, for the 6HC plus 3HC. Do you need the extension board? Yeah, exactly. You okay. just barely need these. So... Um, the the guys the guys from Do It they were like hey do you wanna do you want some Do It hardware for this and I was like could be cool um, and they were like well you know the board we would recommend would be the Mini Five Plus I think is there an extension you can hook up to that yeah there is an extension yeah. that that's why it's called Five Plus I, I didn't okay. understand that for quite a while okay so that is the solution they would recommend for this printer however mm. because I do have that stuff planned with the um, well, I've, I've moved away from that revolving x-axis and I mm. think I'm now going to do a belt-fed uh, bed system on this. Mm. Uh, I do need a couple extra separate drivers and a couple extra outputs and I'm not sure how much I need. So mm. uh, right now the 6HC plus 3HC expansion is kind of the, the solution that gives me the most freedom there. Yeah. I think, well... The, the really nice thing about the uh, the Mini 5 Plus is that it's way le- less expensive than uh, just like the big Duo 3. Um, but the big Duo 3 is, at least in terms of, of stepper motor drivers, really oversized for yeah. basically probably 95% where, where it's actually used because those stepper motor drivers, they're able to... Uh, put out four, amps, four or five amps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think I think it's even six amps that they would be capable of. But right now they're capped at like four because cooling mm. or I I don't know what. But um, yeah. they're NEMA twenty seven sized stepper drivers. Um, basically, yeah. so overkill for NEMA seventeen. On the other hand, they work perfectly fine for NEMA seventeen, and mm-hmm. you can use the like dynamic current scaling um, or idle current reduction. I don't know if, mm-hmm. if it actually does dynamic current scaling yeah. for higher speeds, but that would be cool. Um, they've got plenty of headroom. They they don't need any cooling. Um, mm-hmm. I think they even work up to forty eight volts. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, so yeah, that that could that could be something I can look into if mm-hmm. I because I I, I already know it's like. 1500 millimeters a second the printer is already struggling so if mm-hmm. i do want to push it further than that um maybe try 48 volts yeah and that could be an option yeah so. J- just something on the side speaking of 48 volts what is what is like an acceptable voltage level that, that one as a hobbyist uh, uh, sh- should actually handle? I don't know. Is, isn't there? Because I know that, for example, uh, basically most of the 
lab power supplies that, that you can get are kept at 30 or 40 volts. Isn't there a regulation that like if, if you're going higher, it's, it's not that safe anymore. It's just 12 or uh, 24 volts. I think there was something with 60 volts where it was like, well, if you, if you get DC under 60 volts, like it's not going to harm you if you harm you too much okay. <laughs> if you actually get get your hands on it and, and actually have it flow through your chest mm. etc um okay. but i can't find any on on the on the fast here i can't find anything that that would quote that 60 volts um mm. i mean 48 volts is tingly if you touch your tongue to it mm. um <laughs> aka very painful actually <laughs> but nine volts is already uh <laughs> probably everyone has already tried just uh, yeah. licking one of those nine volt batteries and you, see if there's still uh, a voltage you don't hold that yeah. onto your tongue too too long um but yeah 48 volts you, you can still touch that and you're yeah. gonna be fine like you, you might feel a bit bit of tensing up but huh. yeah I, I think 60 volts or something was a limit so 48 huh. is like a safe level anything above that i'm I, i'm personally uncomfortable with that as well yeah uh, maybe just as an as an explanation for for the viewers and listeners, uh, why is forty eight volts better than a twelve or twenty four volts for the stepper motors? Ah, yes, uh, the question of all questions. So, what you start running into with stepper motors or with any motor in general, basically, is as they so you, you, let's let's ignore the entire okay, it's a switched voltage on the on the stepper inputs. Um, let's just see it as a as a DC motor basically. So as you supply voltage and therefore current to the motor and that motor starts to spin up, it starts acting as a generator. And the the voltage that motor is is generating as a generator is inverse to what you're trying to push through it. So at a low RPM, um, with a stepper motor, for example, you might be fine with a six volt supply. That that's going to turn just fine and give you the full RP, uh, the full torque because it doesn't induce that high of a voltage against what you're trying to push through. But as you try to push faster and faster speeds and it spins faster, you know it pushes against the voltage you're trying to push through. So. On 12 volt, that was actually a problem where you ran out of voltage to drive your motors. So we switched over to using higher current motors versus uh, higher inductance ones. So with a 24 volt system, even as soon as you start pushing those those crazier speeds, that voltage that the stepper motor generates starts rising up closer and closer to those 24 volts. And once that voltage mm -hmm. is at 24, there's literally no current that you can push through it anymore. So mm -hmm. that's going to be a sharp cutoff for how fast you can you can spin the motor um, before you run out of uh, out of input voltage, basically. And the more voltage you have, the faster you can spin it. Of course, okay. there's going to be more more power dissipated, which isn't great. But you know, as as long as it's just at those high uh, short high speed spurts, that shouldn't mm -hmm. be much of an issue. Okay. Hope that's that, pretty interesting. Hope that explanation was something that was. Uh, okay to follow along to yeah I, I i i think i think it was i had something like that in mind but but you're you are more the electrical guy so <laughs> better uh right. better that you ex uh, explain it and i think this is something maybe not everyone is aware of because well the switch from 12 volts to 24 volts on like today's printers was nice because you did not need that thick wires anymore for the heated beds and yeah. they were able to heat up faster but it also has benefits if you want to drive your stepper motors faster 
Absolutely. And of course, if you have if you have that voltage headroom, uh, you're more free to choose stepper motors that are more appropriate for that. Um, for example, those that have a lower rated current but higher inductance, those are more suitable for being driven by a higher voltage system. So okay. because with that higher inductance comes, you know, a, a greater generation generated mm. voltage uh, back okay. EMF. It's also the reason why I need like um, freewheeling diodes on like switched motor outputs. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it blows your your MOSFET. That's that same voltage <laughs> that you that you get um, okay. generate there. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that's the it's, boron. It's, it, I'm, I'm I'm really excited uh, first to see it printing, and then what you are going to do with it uh, due to the current hype about speed printing. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there is that hype. I I do so. <laughs> Yeah, speed printing, of course, that's something. Um, I guess we we can we can talk about that at, at some future time. Is like how much are we running into the limits of what our mechanics can do? Mm-hmm. Because from what I understand, it the vorons very much rely on, um, excuse me, rely on stuff like uh, input shaping or mm-hmm. resin. I don't know what what it's called in in reprofirmer, but um, it's base. also called input shaping. Okay, yeah. or or is it called differently in Clipper then? I don't know. No, I think they're both the same. But I could be, I could be wrong there. Input shaping. So, so with um, with like corner ringing that you just get if you have fast accelerations, you or the the, the extruder not being able to keep up, you kind of need software to make up for that. There's no you, you're running out of what you're running out of options of what the hardware can provide. Like you can only yeah. make a, a motion system so stiff. Yeah. Yeah, but that, yeah, that, that might that, be a topic for a different one. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, yeah, that I, was I, I, keep, awesome. I keep, again, I keep interrupting you today. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. I'm usually the one that, that, that always interrupts. Um, yeah, that was actually also the plan for, for my Voron Zero series to really find out what are the bottlenecks are to get to my 10 minute Benchy, even though that's already totally old now because people are printing like, three minute benchies but but anyways I, i'd be fine with a with a 10 minute one uh i already ta- uh was taking a look at um at the extrusion system so you have the magnum plus on there uh that shouldn't be limiting right away but but if you are crunching the numbers even the 50 60 70 cubic millimeters a second that that thing can extrude um, this one's rated for 90 just that's okay for 90 <laughs> um with a 0.4 millimeter nozzle that might be fine for quite a while but if you're saying okay i do have the print space now and i want to print print big parts fast with a 0.6 0.8 millimeter one millimeter nozzle it's not too much it's not too much yeah. and um i i i was also asking myself okay uh when the hot end is capable of like just melting that amount of plastic at which point is like the, the feeder the extruder the weak point and it's yeah. just not able to, to spin that fast anymore but yeah it's it's a really interesting topic and i think um it really helps us to understand what where bottlenecks are and what are ways to to, to fix them yeah, um, I guess one thing that helps is when you have a hardened that actually fully melts your plastic and you don't have to work against um, like half molten plastic trying to be pushed through the mm-hmm. nozzle, that does take off some load off of the extruder. Um, yeah. So that helps. But 
Let me see. So the Devor now has that. I think it's the it's the afterburner extruder, right? That's the standard one that they're using, mm-hmm. um, and it is. It's probably going to be limited by the motor that's on there. So it's a pancake style stepper motor, um, supposedly mm-hmm. one amp rated. I don't think we can install a larger one because that 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 pushes back the um, the drag chain mounts and all of that mm-hmm. because that attaches literally to the back of the motor. So okay. I. Don't know how much headroom there's going to be there, but we shall find I'm, out. I'm still, I'm still not the well greatest fan of a direct extrusion system on a high speed printer, just due to the added weight and then the compromises you would need to do input in shaping. terms of input shaping. Yeah, but input shaping, you still have a mass that you need to to move and to accelerate. Uh, so. Even though there is now the Voron 0.1 released, which also comes with a small direct extruder, I will not be using the direct extruder because I think for a fast extrusion system, you need to get all the way possible available though away from your from from your print head. And uh, if you have a well-tuned Bowden system, it still can perform quite well. Um Though we, 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 we do kind of need to look at this from, from the other options. So there is a, there is a Bowden head for the Voron, uh, 2.4. Of course, for the afterburner, I believe this is, uh, you can just replace, uh, the hardened mount and all that with a, uh, Bowden adapter. Mm. However, um, where's my table? Um, what I'm, what I'm worrying about is that input shaping thing again, um, a linear advance, aka, is where, you do have a bit more lag and a bit more input shape input shaping and linear advance are two different things pressure advance and linear advance are Mm. comparable okay oh terminology Um, (laughs) sorry but it's it yeah you're right you're right yeah Right. So linear advance and pressure advance is basically tuning the extrusion system to not over and under extrude during accelerations and decelerations input shaping is is working on the motion system and yeah because he, the the extrusion system is one that has a dampening to it it has a lag to it um whereas the um the motion system does not have that it only has that spring component and mm. sli- it, it the stepper motor is always accurate on the yep. uh, on the motion system it never lags behind okay what i'm trying to say is uh the <sighs> I guess it's it uh, technically it's also input shaping, right? It's just th- the terminology is different. <laughs> pressure advance. Let, let's let's call it pressure advance for the extruder, um, because with faster print speeds on a Bowden, you're still going to need to slow down and and um, speed up the uh, material flow in your hot end quite quickly. Mm. And the, the longer that Bowden system is, and the longer that 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 lag is between your extruder doing something and that that springiness actually dissipating into the, the hot end mm. um the more you're going to have to work against that and, and and do pressure advance uh for getting crisp prints otherwise with a bowden system you're just going to run into like those those bits of under extrusion at the start of an extrusion line and then over extrusion yep. where, where you slow back down so you will need to do even more compensation for that yeah now on the pressure advance side not on the input shaping for having a heavier extruder so that might make yeah. three millimeter filament more feasible again, because that's stiffer. But though, with three millimeter filament, yeah, it 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 goes it goes both yeah. ways because with uh, with the larger filament, 
also smaller devi um, deviations in length yeah. make up for more volume. So I, it yeah. basically cancels itself out. And from what I've heard with E3D, like 1.75 for those applications is better. Okay. It yeah, it's 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 a really interesting topic with well many different ways how you can approach that problem and some might be better than others and uh, the solutions might not be obvious right from the beginning so it's yeah. it's it's really nice that uh, we're trying to dig more and more deep into that because that just helps us understand those problems better yeah and we one thing I talked to Buddy about yesterday is like it's nice to see that we are at that point where we have um, what's the word? We have used up all the possibilities that the current set of options we have gives us. Like uh, I, I, we brought up the, the Mark III. Like the Mark III is a fine printer, but yeah. it doesn't use input shaping. It doesn't use it, it doesn't use many. It does have linear advance now, but it doesn't use many of the more advanced software features that we now have. It, it, it very mm -hmm. much relies on software to make the experience good, but it's just it's an it's it's almost an artifact of the best we could do a couple of years ago. And now with mm -hmm. stuff like the Voron, and I'm, and I'm sure there are going to be commercialized printers that make use of those same ideas, they can now deliver more than what was possible just a couple of years ago with the learnings we've, we've taken and with the more advanced options we have in firmware now. Yeah, that is fantastic to watch. Cool. <laughs> Okay, we, we said this was going to be a shorter one because you have to kick, uh, cook dinner in a minute. Um, so let's move on. We're famous. Yeah, let's move on. We're famous. Quick one. Uh, quick one. We're famous. Uh, I, I, it took me quite a while to find the article uh, because it was it? like on the uh, page before the last page for Let's Decide. What's Sec the second to last that? page, yeah. S second to last page. But yeah, uh, everyone who is who is uh, watching at the moment on uh, on YouTube, uh, there is an article about the podcast in the latest Make magazine. Can, can you actually show insides of the magazine, copyright and stuff? Do we oh, need to blur it. that out? Mm. Or is that it, well, it wasn't legible? But we're just gonna say otherwise it would be like fair use. It, but you've already yeah, shared it on Twitter. So too late. I already shared it on Twitter and, and even Make Magazine Germany retweeted that. So it should be fine. I haven't shown everything. Okay. So that's just a, a small teaser. I don't know if it's, if it's comparable to uh, a teacher is only allowed to copy like five or 10% of a book. Otherwise it's uh, copyright infringement. We, we have, we have the new fair use laws. It's like, what is it? 15 characters <laughs> that oh. you can use. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah, if, if you want to read about it, buy the latest Mac Mag Make magazine. So we, so we should be fine again. <laughs> yeah. no. no, no, it's an app. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 nice to be mentioned in a uh, in a German magazine. Um, they say right at the beginning that this is an English podcast, uh, but I don't think uh, they somehow mentioned yeah it's kind of weird that that two german guys yeah. whose native language is german talk on uh yeah on on a you now almost 50 
um, episode a podcast in in English, not in their native language. We're going um, we're going full circle. Two Germans talking in English, being featured in a German magazine, saying that they're talking. <laughs> so it's it's all, only Germans involved at this point, but we're talking in English. So yeah, yeah. Oh, weird. So yeah, still happy uh, about every non-native English speaker that is uh, listening or uh, watching to us. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're famous now. We're now featured in um, in a print magazine. Uh, yeah. it's it's really old school. <laughs> it's going yeah. yeah. Weird how times change. Uh, where it's yeah. like, well, now the print magazines report on 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 us and and think that's something <laughs> that's something big. Well, do we, we probably have more? Do we have a larger audience than Make Magazine? I was Possibly. wondering how big the how many prints they have for the Mag magazine. I would almost assume, but they, I didn't find any um, any numbers for that. Uh, so Wikipedia says thirty six thousand uh, Auflager, but I don't okay. know how up to date that is. Okay. Okay, so they're a bit bigger. Yeah. But not necessarily bigger uh, than, than the audience of a YouTube video that we put out, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so I, I, I checked our, our YouTube stats uh, from, I think it was released, yes, was it? No, on Saturday, I think it was released. Um, uh, th there wasn't a big spike of new subscribers okay. to our podcast. Oh, what uh, do you expect? So, uh, with with us being about the same size of of an audience, I guess we should now report on Make Magazine and kind of give a quick description of what they do. Yeah. And say, hey, by the way, that this is a magazine that does projects, and I don't know what else to do. I'm not subscribed to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, making projects. Um, not primarily 3D printing, definitely not, but I, I guess the connection between electronics, Arduino, yeah. uh, programming. Um, I really enjoy reading it every two months, uh, when it's, when it's released. And, um, this is, this is something that I, for example, take with me when, I don't know, yesterday we were at the Lake Constance having a nice time outside and just, do some That's casual sure. casual yeah. reading. Yeah, basically hack it in, in pictures. <laughs> hack it uh, in a in a printed form. Yeah, there is an is there? I, I guess there's an yeah. Of course, there's an English magazine as well. So yeah, of course. Yeah. So that that is that is us being featured in Make Magazine. Cool. Should we should we ask them if they if they want a, a big exemplar of this uh, podcast because we, we mentioned them. <laughs> Maybe we could ask that. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let, let, let's maybe continue with um, other, yeah, kind of German news. Yeah, it's German news. Um, Absolutely. So there is, I, I don't know the the English name, but in the US and probably in all other countries, there's, there's something similar. So in Germany, there is Jugendforscht, uh, which is roughly translated um, young... The Youth Sciences. Youth, youth sciences science. um, yeah. because we don't have something like uh, science fair oh, 
how is it called? Yeah, science fairs. Science science fairs. Yeah, we don't so have Jugendful. And, 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 and we don't have an, an equivalent of that that is like yeah. accurate. Maybe, maybe some schools do. But um, yeah, so Jugendforscht, um, for those of you do, who don't, who are not familiar with the concept, it's basically a competition, more or less, uh, done annually where young scientists, inventors, um, create something and then it's uh, it's an event you actually get together at each every every project has their little stall it's kind of like um like poster sessions in in um, actual research science and in proper science so it's it's maybe maybe a light version of that and everyone presents their findings and you know has a, has a little booth and at the end of the of the event um you know there, there's several awards for hey this is like a, the, the eco award this is most innovative and this is like the the top three and and you know you get a little award um for you know presenting your stuff um i've actually been in, in those a couple of times and that was that was fantastic um not with the most fantastic projects but just you know but as a as a student how old was i 13 14 15 something like that mm-hmm. um i i you know even though my, my projects were garbage it puts you on the track of hey this is how you how you science this is how you collect data this is how you make stuff uh, reproducible uh, this is how you present stuff it just basically puts you through that entire process and you get to to learning experience that in your own at your own pace and with stuff you might even care about which is amazing i, I think it's it's a great in- incentive and a great project so you can first um there has been a or one of the projects shown um is a now patented uh heating and dispersion system for resin via ultrasonic and you've you've said you've you've taken a quick read through the article yeah so um this guy has well has been improving to be as nice he has a name to be as nice uh yeah try to improve the resin 3d printing process by having ultrasonic emitters around the resin vats to for once heat the resin because um if it is at a usually a bit higher than ambient temperature around 30 40 degrees celsius it polymerizes faster it flows nicer it's um it's just better for the printing process in general and also the ultrasonic um helped him to disperse additives and the photosensitive ingredients and all of the, the the stuff that is in the 3D pre- uh, 3D printing resin um better and uh yeah he was therefore able to uh, he 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 well yeah <laughs> was able to uh, uh prove that uh using using this approach um gives him faster prints more reproducible prints and even uh, stronger prints in the end and I think it's a pretty neat concept because I have been experimenting with resin prints in my basement where it's always cold and uh, it is always a hassle. So I even built it kind of a heated chamber, put a heater inside. Um, but uh, just having something like that integrated in, in, in a resin printer, I think is a, is a really nice upside. 
And also the dispersion part is interesting, especially thinking about one of your latest projects that you yeah. did where you tried to add glitter and and other um other particles into your resin back there and you definitely had the problem that they um well went out of suspension yeah see that. um yeah just pointing them uh, out for, for the viewers so yeah. these are visual aspects but also um anyone who has maybe made the mistake to have a resin bottle and just not really shaking it or or moving yeah. it around before pouring it into the vet might have noticed that the resin is not properly working anymore and yeah um having it, it or having these ultrasonic sensor dis disperse the resin or the ingredients of the resin constantly um yeah just just makes it more reproducible or the process more reproducible yeah, yeah it's not sensors it's it's actual ultrasonic emitters that kind of shake. Yeah. You, you. okay yeah. but uh it's already patented so yeah. are, are we actually going to see that anywhere i don't know i don't know <laughs> so it's already uh, saying his, I, his he, patented main innovations uh mm. maybe, maybe some printers who can afford that or who manage to license that somehow um yeah i don't want to <laughs> dig into the <laughs> patent thing again uh Yeah. But yeah, it it is kind of unfortunate that something like that. Well, at least he seems to have applied it for for a patent. But yeah, that's just that's just how it goes. Yeah, but that's that. So ultrasonic. Yeah. We'll see. Nice idea. <laughs> we won't probably see it in the future. Oh well. Uh, what we will also not see is the uh, torsion Kickstarter that we talked about last time. I think we, we, we're a bit late on these um, because they happened between episodes. So last episode we talked about, I think it was last episode, we talked about the, um, the, the, uh, the, the what's it called? Labicon, something Labicon? Astrolabicon. Uh, yeah. The Astrolabicon by uh, Make Anything. Which is a which is that puzzle that you twist and turn and you push the, the colored balls around you sort them. It's it's a it's a it's a simple concept, and it looks like the torsion Kickstarter has been suspended. Of course, they claim some uh, BS reason why it was suspended uh, in the in the actual official update. But yeah, it was suspended yeah. by Kickstarter. But um. I think that was already during the Kickstarter, but those torsion parts were already uh, available on on AliExpress. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we will see torsion in the future. Um, but like, I think on, that was on, the, on a Kickstarter. If I remember correctly, um, that was the reason why they were suspended because it's not something new because the parts are already available. I think that was the main reason for that okay. actually. Um, okay. So obviously, you can still buy them. Uh, on AliExpress, okay. and I don't know if it's actually if the torsion. We don't know who's behind torsion. Um, if, if that is just literally the same group of people um, putting up a Kickstarter that are already selling mm -hmm. it on AliExpress, I don't know. Yeah, could be. I, I just need to check torsion. Yeah, it's it's even sold under that name. 
plastic UFO-shaped spinning torsion puzzle game with color beads, sold? fast speed cube. It's sold under that name on, on AliExpress? It's, well, they have it in it in the title. Torsion puzzle. Um, yeah. They show the torsion puzzle with a toddler. I don't know if it's a good idea to give that magnetically held together puzzle with those beats to a toddler. But yeah, that's something different. Um, yeah. So, uh, it is available on, on Kickstarter. That seems to be the reason why, why it's AliExpress. It was suspended. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Kickstarter got suspended. Yeah. Just, just a small update here. Okay. Well, it's, it's good yeah. to see that, you know, stuff is sometimes working as intended and, you know, at least it got suspended. Fine. Yeah. And you put a, you put another Kickstarter in here. Of course, always Kickstarter. <laughs> We, we don't we love kickstarters yeah we love kickstarters but i think this is not the worst <laughs> oh god you're setting the bar pretty low for this one so yeah 3d printed bike helmet uh which goes under the name kai k kai i think kai Kav. oh sorry is it oh yeah it's Kav. um yeah, so there is a Kickstarter for a 3D printed bike helmet. I think it's currently still going on, but that's not the reason why 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 we are talking about it. I just found it on on a news site. But the reason why I put it in there because I thought for once, yeah, 3D printing a bike helmet is not the worst idea because customizability you can print it perfectly fitting to your head if you need that in the end um is a different question because like the adjustable ones are also pretty comfortable um and then the the thing that 3d printing gives you the possibility to for example adjust densities adjust infill structures at certain areas of of a part gives you the possibility to to tune the properties of such a helmet just like you want it to be to have it maybe hard in in one direction but really impact resistant or or sorry impact absorbing in in another direction which is pretty nice the so the, so this is specifically a bicycle helmet um i guess we need yeah. to point that out it's not a motorbike helmet and what a bike helmet, bicycle helmet needs to do versus a, a soldier's helmet, for example, it's not against protecting, uh, it's, it's not for protecting against like, uh, bullets coming your way, which would a, a steel cap would maybe do, but it's, it's literally just if your head hits the pavement or hits a tree or something, um, it, it kind of distributes those forces around and kind of gives you instead of, uh, like smashing your head in, it distributes it around and, and just gives you a concussion best case. Um, so what what I see is so typically uh, the way a helmet is built it's a styrofoam core um that is molded in into shape and then it's a I believe it's a Lexan uh, polycarbonate um sheet over top to keep it from cracking on impact so the Lexan sheet gives you that that's that strength basically on the outside as a shell 
And then the um, styrofoam, the EPS on the inside gives it that that malleability that your head can kind of cushion into. And it also gives you it gives it its shape and kind of the it's it's a half sandwich construction um, that allows your head to bump into stuff without it getting smashed. So how does how does that cav helmet do that with just being printed in TPE? It's like it's like strapping a it doesn't have that hard shell on the outside, right? It's like strapping a pillow around your head, which I guess can work too, but it's a rather thin yeah, one. Yeah, why not? It well, it, it it always depends on like the the thickness you're you're designing it. Um, as as I said previously, I think just using the possibilities that you have with three D printing, you can make it kind of hardish well they're using tp um in in certain areas but but still flexible in other ones so that um so that an impact is dispersed over your whole head and even um even you have the springiness that um you don't get these high accelerations on your on your brain but um also the TPE well it, it doesn't require that outside hard shell because in itself it's already a really tough material that doesn't usually crack well you you don't care about the cracking per se you know if it cracks um like a, a typical bike helmet you have one impact on it you, you're supposed to throw it away because there might be cracks in it um that make it weaker next time but when something cracks, it actually absorbs energy. Um, that's, uh, you know, something that, that yeah. crumples zone, essentially. Um, so what I'm, what I'm seeing with the TP, of course, it's, it's a, it's a nice cushion. But say you hit a, you hit a light pole, you hit something that is, or a small tree or mm -hmm. something that, that has like a very concentrated, mm -hmm. uh, impact spot. The, um, the polycarbonate shell and the traditional helmet that would disperse it. I don't see how that would be done with the CAV helmet that is just one single material uh, that's all semi-flexible. So I'm not 100% sure if the polycarbonate that you, for example, have on a normal bike helmet is is really that important for the structural integrity. I think it's it more is. for the visual appearance, but it's you, just you like a, a like half a not even half a millimeter thick sheet of of plastic that's on the outside usually. If I, for example, take a look at my helmet, yeah, and the, they're very thin, but you need it for that semi sandwich structure. That's what holds the the uh, EPS together, styrofoam. Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, but since the the TPE, even though it's it's a bit soft, it still has some rigidity. And if there is a a certain thickness, I'm quite sure that it will might also be able to to absorb a more like. Uh, more directed hit on, uh, on 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 your head pretty well, but this is also something I I, yeah, I put into the show notes. How about safety? Um, at least I yeah. think in Germany, if you want to to sell a helmet, it needs to be certified in some True. way, and there are some scenarios that need to be tested. Yeah, that that's something Looking I'm, I'm just missing from the from the Kickstarter yeah. entirely. Any sort of of testing, any sort of results that would give you confidence in this thing actually working. Sure, it looks nice. Yeah. 
sure it's customized but if it doesn't actually do its job i i would i would just want to see something that that proves that yeah um also concerning safety um if if like the general concept works or doesn't work what i also ask myself is well now you're producing safety equipment with a 3d printer what kind of quality control do you need to do that if you're producing a thousand of helmets uh you can be sure that none of them had well like in between a a clog in your nozzle or a clog in your hot end um which for example weakened the layers and um how can you make sure that something like that is not happening um or would they need to do that should they do that is that something that you would directly see from the outside but this becomes really interesting if you are thinking about really yeah safety equipment not just like a bracket that you have on your wall where your code is hanging yeah yeah that's uh i think we've talked about that a couple of times before it's like the the automated inspection and quality assurance part of a 3d print i mean do you have a, a visual based system where you you take a photo of every layer and compare that against what it should be looking like uh do you have well x-ray i don't think you can do all that much there do you do a ct scan on every single part you uh, you print it's like too expensive you could do that but yeah it's it's too expensive in the end uh just something that for the most part 3d prints are reliable and they're fine but it's about that one case where it's not mm. and you do need to catch it especially in stuff that's like protective equipment that's supposed to keep the, the user safe or like you said in, in stuff that's not just a bracket like uh is it boeing that's printing like the the we ah, terminology the the one of the one of the bracket parts that has like the the runway wheels of of the airplane kind of one of those slip up bits a bracket titanium yeah, bracket landing gear landing yeah. gear yeah landing gear something in there was 3d printed and of course that is something that is kind of safety critical if you land and that just, that thing just breaks you've got a couple hundred people worst case in that plane that yeah are going to be put in a quite risky situation with the plane grinding along the runway it's, not something you want to have happen so yeah that is something that i guess they have figured out for that but it's not quality assurance is not something we have for the wider range of 3d printers at this point so well i i know that there are ways to do that for like more professional 3d printing yeah. and well just metal 3d printing there is there are online monitoring system where you take a look at like the heat distribution of each layer uh you make pictures of every layer you do x-ray testing you do ct testing you do you do penetrant testing for for aerospace parts but there are barely any things in that direction that i have seen with for fdm 3d printing um this is something that will become more and more important especially for things like that but i think something like that is is totally is totally necessary because you can't have one of a thousand parts fail due to the nozzle being clogged the filament not being fed properly and and yeah everything that is connected can you always be sure that you see flaws on the outside if yeah so i hope they figure something out in that direction i hope they're doing some 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 quality checks because i am definitely sure that something like that will be necessary 
if you are um, selling such a product, especially at such a premium price, because I think the normal... 350 Three, no, three, I think that's just the Kickstarter more. price. Yeah, so it's two, $285 for the super early bird, which they're saying is $90 off of MSRP. So it would be 375 uh, US dollars plus tax and shipping yeah. uh, for the CAV R1. And that they're saying that includes a fit session. So I don't know where, where yeah. that will be done. In sunny California. Yeah. So it is only sold in the US where, I don't know, safety regulations for bike helmets might be a bit more lax because, you know, as long as it's not a car, they don't really care about it. But um, yeah, US, US only at this point. Premium product. I just, I, I would like to see some sort of proof that it actually is functional. That's my biggest concern with it. I'm quite sure that they did some testing and they and just below like their stretch goals they show a picture of like this generic head that is bounced off a part of infrastructure where they said we use our impact data to inform helmet offset vent placement and design so they definitely did that um but yeah it's a premium product and as I said, I put it in here because I think it's a feasible application. It's, uh, it's customized fit. It's using infill structure in a way that, yeah, is best suited for the application. And you wouldn't be able to do that with like another conventional manufacturing method. So. All right. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. I mean, it's it's always nice to see new applications. Okay, we're we're at fifty five minutes. How much how much more do we want to do? Um, let's let's put that into the okay. next one. So I guess we're moving into the Q and A session then, into this Q and A segment. Um, that's four questions basically, and the first one is a tweet. At you and me, um, maybe maybe next time include uh, at the melt zone so we can find it a bit more easily. Uh, Millen is asking, hey, any idea about the capability of resin prints against the water leakage? Say, as a lid on a container submerged in the pool. I know FDM prints would be poor. So, first of all, are FDM prints poor for water leakage? Um, they can be poor. Uh, I think everyone who has already printed a vase and try to fill it with with water probably in in 60 percent of the cases uh there was a a puddle of water below that vase uh, uh quite after you filled it um fdms are fdm 3d prints can be kind of tricky to get leak proof and waterproof and even even airtight there are methods to do that but maybe talk let's talk about that in a second resin 3d prints um I would not see a reason why resin 3D prints would not be watertight. Of course, they have the problem that the polymer itself might sure. absorb moisture over time and not be like totally watertight. But I, I think it would be in a similar way watertight as your Tupperware box. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different type of, of polymer, but there's no... It, it doesn't have any porous structure to it, right? Unless mm -hmm. a an FDM print possibly could have. It is 
By the way, that the process works for resin prints, there is no technical way that you could have, except maybe a bubble, but that would be so microscopic that it's just, you know, you always have a bit of thickness. Mm. There's there's like no way that a, a resin print would not be watertight in the traditional definition. Yeah. So, that, that, that totally yeah. works. Now for FDM, yeah. um, I think that the, the biggest reason for parts not being watertight is, well, start-stop of a layer. Of course, that leaves a, a tiny gap possibly. Mm. But also a lot of printers are configured to under-extrude by a less or larger margin so it's it's quite common to see like five just by default five percent under extrusion and that of course allows for uh that allows for for more gaps to to be introduced and not being filled because it is to a point if you slightly over extrude it is cumulative over the layers so if you have one layer that is slightly over squished your next one already has that that extra material to work against and that kind of builds up so if you slightly over extrude Mm. you are very likely to get something that is totally watertight. Also mm. wide extrusion, with, um, which kind of does the same if you're doing vase mode. So. Yeah, that also worked pretty well for me in the past. Um, then there are pre-processing methods. Um, vapor smoothing. Post-processing? Is, yeah. yeah, vapor smoothing, I think, is, is definitely a feasible option um, if you're having... PVB or polysmooth filament uh, in, in IPA va vapor, uh, isopropanol. And for ABS, ASA acetone vapor, either, well, vapor or just dip it in there or brush it on. That's, yeah. that's an option. Resins would be an option, just covering it in either yeah. epoxy resin or... Uh, SLA resin also works. Smear. Or even SLA resin. Yeah, yeah I've, people I've have done, been using it. I've done that before. You smear I it on. You you hit it. You hit it with some UV lights, um, and it cures on as a solid layer. You have plenty of time to work with it. Mm. Um, so that's that's a nice hybrid approach. Though those methods always add a bit of thickness to your material, so you yeah. have to uh, account for that in the design stage. Yeah. Salt remelting. Ah. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um. So. The so I I did some research in that a, a while ago and it's a really interesting method. If I find more time, I need to dig deeper into that. But salt melt salt remelting basically means that you embed your FDM 3D print in in really fine salt powder, heat it above the melting point, the layers, and also porosity. And and I think it's not that much porosity in the terms of a circular or a spherical pore but it's those small cracks yeah. and small um i don't know the the english term for that but where basically the ends the of joints two printing lines yeah. yeah the joints um with salt remelting you melt everything together into a big blob the salt helps you to um still have the or still retain the shape of the part and that is also a possibility to make your parts watertight and and even even airtight. So the guy who did yeah. the video right after I think I did my first experiments remelting in in plaster, he said that he used that technique because he wanted to have airtight parts. So seems to be well working. Um, also an option to get watertight parts. In in the end, but it is yeah definitely 
definitely more work. For sure. Um, maybe even concerning the, the, the question in the beginning, if you have a container that you want to submerge, um, you, of course, your parts could be watertight, but the problem in the end could be um, the yeah, the connection where you yeah. screw on the lid. So you, of course, you need to make sure that you have a proper seal in there. Either use a, a really a gasket or... Um, yeah, if it's, sub, use... if it's a container submerged in a pool, yeah, gasket. You, you could even print a gasket, right? Um, yep. That, that also works with TPU or just use silicone or some other stuff if it's, if it's okay, if it's not, uh, unscrewable, removable, if you can't undo it, if that's fine. Yep. Oh, I think that answers that. Pretty much. Uh, Bobby has a comment about the, the Serietech sponsorship. Bad thing about them is that they're not selling in the EU and they are. They are. Uh, Stefan, you checked on Amazon? Yeah, I, I checked Amazon Germany. Um, there were offers for at least the blue resin. Um, honestly, I have never purchased Serietech resin my, myself in the EU. Um, but you also said that Serietech is shipping to the eu or might even have a i think uh, they stock have in the eu somewhere yeah they have a they uh, i might need to look this up but they they do directly sell to you and often have more stock than amazon and they also have all the varieties of resins available uh on their own stores i think they definitely ship from china um pretty quickly but they also might have a eu warehouse so that that is that is a backup option if you can't find it on Amazon. That, yeah, the thing yes. with the thing with uh, with being an influencer is you you rarely buy the stuff you're working with because companies are pretty good about sending out samples. Um, yeah, I have more Soraya. It's usually than, taking yeah, it's yeah, usually I, taking way less time than if you would like order it yourself with standard shipping. Yeah. <laughs> well, well. Uh, and then lastly, Kim Ravenhansen is asking um, about specifically uh, our experience with the do-it boards versus the uh, oh between the big tree check uh, wrapper thermocompatible boards, which yep. apparently have some some issues um, with upload speeds and I'll ask for okay formal review would be nice perhaps sometime but yeah basically asking about how usable is the do it set of boards for you know using it without octoprint for uploading stuff uh to the printer itself uh, through wi-fi uploading g-code files and from my experience with so i, I have a, a do it three um the full 6hc in the warren 2.4 but i have worked with do it two in the past this is do it wi-fi and those have been totally fine. The upload speeds are fine. Um, printing from the, uh, from the, I guess it writes it to the SD card. Yeah. Uh, printing mm. from that is fine. It's, you know, as quick as it needs to be. I think it's not quite as fast as uploading to Octoprint, but that might just be, you know, difference in process speed. Um, mm. but really it's, it's fine. <laughs> On the genuine boards. I have also only, well, I have been working with the Duet 2 and the Duet 5 Mini and there it's totally fine. So 
I guess upload speeds 500 kilobytes to, to one megabyte a second on normal Wi-Fi. I am currently working with a mellow 3D rep rep firmware board. Um, okay. I need to, what, what's the name? Uh, it's the mellow fly. Oh, damn it. It's the mellow fly CDY version two board, um, that I'm currently putting into one of my old CNC's. Um, and that also runs rep rep firmware. And I, even though I haven't uploaded that much yet, I noticed or I had the impression that it was a bit slower than with my dual boards. But um, I gotta say that that CNC is currently in my basement and the next access point is a floor upwards. So that okay. could also only have been a bad Wi-Fi connection. Yeah. Um, I hope to release a video on that at, at some point, but at least for the mellow fly boards, it says that they can do like around 500 kilobytes per second. Is that kilobytes or kilobits? Is it a uppercase or lowercase b? It's uh, in rep firmware, it says ki uh, an, an uppercase b. Okay. And it should be bytes. Bytes, yeah, um, 500 kilobytes per second. Yeah, That's... I need to check that. Um, don't know how it is with the big tree, big tree tech boards, but at least it seems to have have been working. And also with the Mellow 3D boards, uh, using RepRep firmware on them so far seems to be really straightforward, and it's a really nice experience just to have. Again, just like with the Duet boards, the web interface directly integrated yeah. on. Uh, the main board and you don't have to fiddle around with another, well, with the Raspberry Pi, uh, with power supply for that and USB cable and, and everything. So, so one, one thing I learned, uh, in the stream yesterday, um, was that you can actually integrate a webcam into, uh, the Duet web interface. And I was yes, like, well, you can. How, how, what it doesn't have USB? Like how? But basically, you use a uh, basically a security camera uh, that yeah. gives you an HD web feed, <laughs> a regular video feed, and it basically just displays that feed uh, in the in the web interface. So that functionally makes it a for the most part, like for the for the basic stuff, that makes it a full replacement yeah. for Octoprint. Of course, plugins, uh, Octolabs, um, Spaghetti Detective, all those things you can't use with do it without having, mm. um, you know, a, a full Linux system more or less. Uh, but for like basic use, that makes it a, a full on replacement. Mm. Um, and it's and, super snappy. Yeah. Yeah. Because it runs directly on the, on the printer's hardware. Um, one thing that, that I always dislike about doing Raspberry Pi projects is, the fact that you power it off wrong a couple of times and stuff just stops working. Um, or I guess on, on any Linux system that he did, he do updates to, it's always like, well, it works fine for a couple of months and then all of a sudden it, it starts having issues and it, it stops booting. And I've always had that on everything that I've had a Raspberry Pi for. For example, that, that info screen, that, that, um, portrait mode LCD info panel that I have on the wall, um, worked fine for a year. 
all of a sudden the taskbar is gone in in the I think it's LXDE uh, L Ubuntu taskbar is gone, so I can't actually access Wi-Fi settings. I have to do that through the through the terminal. Um, and it, like, why why is that happening? I didn't do anything to it. I think it just ran updates on it once. App get upgrade. Um, and all the stuff, stuff is breaking. I have powered it off okay. uh, r- a bit rough once or twice, but okay. you know, if you have a power failure, there's nothing you can do. I always try to shut it down cleanly. It's like that doesn't happen on on Do It because it is a read-only system for the most part. It has its config, and that's it. It doesn't have any system files that that could get corrupted. In defense of Octoprint and also other things running on the on the Raspberry Pi, so I have a, a media center down in our in our living room which i always power out by just <laughs> pulling the plug i've been using that for two three years still fine okay didn't kill it so far so is that that the, there is a way to do uh, a linux setup where there is literally just a fixed system uh, fixed system yeah. image and then you have an overlay of all your temporary files like log files and, and your configs that maybe get loaded in once but the system itself stays the same do you know if, if that's one of those? I I am I'm a Linux dummy, and it's just okay. a standard ex- install of of XBMC. Um, didn't have any problems there. Even all my Octoprint instances never broke down, mm-hmm. um, and I basically never like sh- shutting Octoprint down and then uh, uh, turning it off. I always just pull the plug uh, on my war on on my old prusa and things like that so so far the experience has been pretty good but one thing maybe uh that i'm doing i'm usually using quite high quality sd cards i don't know if that changes anything um but so far so good Hmm. must have just been my (laughs) my luck then yeah, I I would like to use the Raspberry Pi more, but that's always been my uh, my experience. Like, if you don't pull a backup, like kiss your kiss your project goodbye okay. after a couple of months, and that's okay. that's just a bit frustrating. Yeah. Oh well. Maybe just maybe just as a last comment before we uh, before we say goodbye for today, the one of the main reasons why I dislike working with Raspberry Pis is supplying it with power and that's just maybe only the laziness of me but if you're trying to power a raspberry pi with a phone charger it just that doesn't properly work you need to have a usb power supply or directly power the raspberry pi via the pins that works very well and totally totally reproducible but um so many times and that's Totally my fault. I tried to run Octoprint and everything just with a, a phone charger, which should have the amperage, but a phone charger is not a power supply. So well, everyone who has problems, well, te- technically it is a power supply. Technically it's just a 5.2 yeah. volt uh, power supply. What I have had really good experience with as far as powering them goes is um, not necessarily the charger side but yes also the charger side um just getting really high quality usb cables so the ones i really like are um, anchor power core power line um mm. they're not that expensive actually like five bucks for a for a decent cable and you can get them in three packs um those are those have always worked great for me i use them in, in the studio everywhere um 
their fantastic and anchor also makes um the chargers that go with it so i'm using like the the black just the standard i think it's it's a three output three or four amp per outlet um supply and those have been working flawlessly for me but really the biggest part is the high quality usb cable and just because mm. the cable is is thick doesn't mean it's it's got you know proper conductors in there it might just be thick insulation um so yeah get get decent usb cables are, are you using brand name cables or just whatever comes with your phones um no i'm usually trying to use decent cables because i know that if you're using not proper cables at those amperages the uh, the voltage just drops to a point where uh, the raspberry pi is not happy anymore okay and for this reason i think if if you're um so i don't know i think a normal phone charger does output 5.0 volts but the raspberry it pi sure power supplies they usually put out 5.1 5.2 volts yeah. Well, most phone chargers are just by default 5.2 because they, they account for a bit of voltage drop in the USB cable. And mm. I think the USB spec is also allowing that uh, to, to be a, a okay. bit over. Um, ATX spec, I think, is even 10, 5%, 5% computer power supplies, but might, might be similar in USB. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, that's it. <laughs> That's I think it. I think that's the that's the shortest episode we've done in in a year easily. <laughs> it is T- two weeks after the last one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, best best cadence too. So let's let's yeah. try and keep that up. And uh, now, <laughs> uh, my mom does all my 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 accounting and and sponsor deals and and organizes all that um, for me for for the last couple of years. And she was like, "Why didn't you tell me about the fact that you're recording the next one so early?" Like I could have, I could have looked to a sponsor for this one. Like, well, <laughs> sorry, I guess we're not having one this this one. Yeah, but yeah, let's let's hope we get the next one in uh, just as quick again. It's been fun, quick yeah. podcast, not burned out after yeah. this one. Let's keep cool. it up. All right, Stefan, thank you for the time. Thanks for yours. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and watching. If you want to support us? Check out your our patrons down in the show notes and yeah i guess uh yeah see you guys in the next one see you bye